Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Navindi Veerasinghe, and right now I'm talking to you from Maryland. I am originally from Sri Lanka. I moved here to the U.S. as an international student, and I'm still navigating the uncharted waters of immigration loops. I'm loving my life here. I love everything I care I wear. Right now, I work as an optician in a private practice very close to the D.C. area. Yo, yo, my name is Perry Brill. Entrepreneur, yeah, it's a big deal. We talk about all things I care because I care about I care. Technology, I wear so many revolutionary things in I care. Tech startups and innovation. The coolest eye care stuff in the nation. Are you an eye doc or an optician? Doesn't really matter because we cook it in the kitchen. Yeah. I'm interviewing Navindi because every time I encounter her online or chat with her in forums, I just feel like there's a level of professionality that you just don't see an optician realize. And it's really a career path for her. It's not just a job, it's just to bend frames and go home. And I think you're gonna find that we need to learn how to work with staff, empower them, and she has many of the answers that I think can grow and scale and tidy up your office operations. We're just gonna hop right into it. I first discovered the whole world of IKEA accidentally. To be very honest, I was a sophomore in college and me and my friends went out to eat one night in Detroit and the cops came over to the restaurant and asked us to evacuate the restaurant as soon as possible so so me and my friends got into an uber and I had a big tall friend who actually sat on my glasses which were in my purse in the uber and and my glasses shattered into pieces so so I had to find an optometrist. I had to look up eye doctors near me on Google. I had to literally navigate the process because I was not used to going to an optometrist. Back in Sri Lanka, where I grew up, we don't have a four-year degree graduated optometrist. Optometrist is just a certificate in Sri Lanka. So, so I had to literally crack the process. And the doctor that I went to spoke me into the profession. I told him that I'm a very lost pre-med student. I really don't know if I want to go into med school because of the number of years and the training. I knew my calling was in the healthcare field, but I really didn't know where I, I was destined. So he, so he asked me to come and shadow him. So I did go and shadow him on another day. I still remember I I didn't used to drive back then, so I caught a bus to the mall and went to the optometrist in the mall. And I shadowed him for a day and, and I thought to myself, this is it and I'm never gonna look back. And fast forward five, six years later, I'm still here and loving it. Oh my God, that is such a funny story. <laughs> so what, did, what, what was wrong with the restaurant? Was there like a fire or? Um, I think that was a shooting in the restaurant. Oh or, my God. Yeah. Or something of that nature. 
did you go to school in Detroit or you just you just live there or so I went to school in Toledo Ohio I am a first generation graduate um Detroit's the closest big city to Toledo so so we usually go to Detroit on Friday nights so oh, that's where okay. I happen to be oh I see okay <laughs> my brother lives in Detroit he lives oh in, nice he lives in Royal Oak oh okay cool yeah so uh, but that's that it's is really cold there cold yeah it gets yeah. really cold and uh, there's a lot of snow <laughs> yes yeah I've never been there in the winter so I wouldn't know but uh, that is a fascinating, that's a fascinating <laughs> story. It's so funny. Okay. So we'll get into some of these questions here. Are you trying to go to optometry school and what's your kind of plan? In the future, yes. But right now I really enjoy being an optician. Yeah. I really enjoy direct patient care. I really enjoy working in a private practice. I love that I get to talk to patients. I love that there's nobody over me telling me that I need to do this, this, and this, I've, I feel like I can curate my own care, which I know that I want to e uh, eventually do. So I love the private practice setting. Yeah. There's nothing, there's, there's absolutely nothing that you can compare the private no. practice setting yeah. to. I've never worked corporate, but I could imagine it's very just very cold, very regimen, very yeah. standard. You it's this Hamster way. Or wheel like running from room to room to room. It also depends on what kind of institution you're in and, and where you're located too, right? When I worked in a big in institution, I worked at a teaching hospital and I worked in the heart of Baltimore City. So we got like the riches of the riches and, and then we got the homeless. So, mm -hmm. so it was very eye-opening and humbling at the same time to kind of deliver what you have to different patient populations. So, right. Yeah. Um, I dealt, I've dealt with both. Um, I mean, my, my dad's practice sees poor people, rich people, like really rich people. And then just, you know, your normal families. And sometimes yeah. you, you got to work with what you got, you know, like someone has 80 bucks or 20 bucks. You're like, I got to do something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I love the creative aspect of optometry we get to literally solve a mystery, right? At the end of the day, we have a prescription in, in front of us and, and we have to figure out, figure out what frames this person can get within this amount of money, within this span of time. So it's, so it's almost like a mystery box to me. And I think I love, I love that process of solving, solving, solving problems. And that's why I think I, I enjoy doing what I do. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I can tell the passion that you have for it. It, oh. it really shines online. You should know that. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm sure you recognize like online, you can kind of tell who the intellectual people are just by their yeah. thoughtful responses. And, you know, and it's good to be silly as well. You got to be both. Yeah. So you yeah. got to have fun. Yep. Yeah. The best yeah. of both worlds. <laughs> right. So as, as, a, as an optician, Navindi, what, what motivates you to do your best, you know, show up with a smile, you know, make good sales, continue your education and just be overall curious in your profession? I think it all comes down to why we do what we do. Quite often people forget the big picture. Quite often people forget why they applied for the job. 
quite often because of other things going on in life, because of other distractions, people forget their calling. People forget why they do things. So I really think that if anyone can remember why they do what they do, everything's going to align better. You're, you're, you're not going to do something that you don't really intend to do if you remember why you do what you do. So, and I try to practice this concept even when I talk to patients. Like say, for example, if I recommend something for a patient, I kind of ask myself, why am I recommending this to the patient? So, so that I know that I can actually break it down to the patient so that they really kind of understand what they get too, if, if, if that makes sense. It does. Mm-hmm. So let's say you've sold, you know, you've been in the, the career path for a while, you've sold 3000 pairs of glasses, you know, you've dispensed that many. So any type of job can become a grind. It comes very repetitive, but repetitive things make you better. You just learn and it becomes, you almost feel like a robot, you know, ask any optometrist, are you sick of refracting? And they'll probably tell you, yes, I'm so bored of doing a refraction, but that's what makes you really good. So how do you, know, when you're bored, how do you get past that hump and um, keep applying yourself? I think the key is to keep yourself updated with the latest technologies in the eye care world. The eye care world is ever revolving. I personally, like every day I walk into work, there's something new to learn, like there's something new to grasp. So as long as you remember why you first started this, I think it's easier to keep the fool burning. I think it's easier to, I think it's easier to do what you do. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's the, the continue learning thing is what keeps me motivated. I was flipping through Facebook today and someone was asking about Fresnel prism, you know, the stick on prisms on lenses. And I mean, I've only applied two in like my whole career path. I've only applied two. And just because there was never really a situation to use it. And someone said it was like, I think they needed 25 prism or something like that. And apparently you could just take two prism sheets. I don't know what you call them and stack them on top of each other to equal, you know, that certain amount that they needed versus ordering, you know, the exact one. I think there was something. Oh, interesting. I was like, I didn't know you could just stack two Fresno prisms. Cool. So, okay, we'll move on to the next one. So um, I'm sure you've had performance reviews, salary reviews, we could call it as well. When you're undergoing a salary review as an employee, what do you, how do you show your value and that you've done a really good job and that you're committed to, you know, growing within your role and also growing the revenue side? Oftentimes when I have reviews, I like to list out my, I like to list out my achievements not only because I want to highlight my achievements, but also because I want to show that I have a track record of actually working towards improving the practice. A lot of what we do day in and day out might seem might seem redundant and might and might seem that we are not contributing to the big picture. But I'm sure it is in some kind of way. So for me personally, I like to list down my achievements, list down, list down where I need to work on, list down, list down ways how my employer can actually help me. 
because if I see a way that they can help me, I would definitely like to bring it up during my review and ask if there's a way that I can get help. I also think that asking for help is a strength. It is not a weakness. Back in the day, I used to be shy. I used to, I used to be scared to ask for help. Uh, but now, but now I just don't think twice to, to really ask for help because I feel, because I feel we are all here to learn and grow. Yeah, and I think you know sometimes when you ask for help, especially as an employee, you feel like you're being annoying. Like I would always have, you know, we sold really complex frames in my dad's office, you know, with like little tiny parts and, or I would be, you know, maybe I knew drill how mounts. to, yeah, <laughs> and someone would come get me like, hey, Perry, can you mount this drill mount? And they thought they were bothering me. And I was like, no, you're not bothering me. Like, I'm here to help you. You have to ask. Don't, you know, even if you ask for help 10 times a day, that's better than neglecting, you know, yeah. solving the issue. So you mentioned something track record. I think that's really important to have i think as employers we don't always know like what's happening in the office or even as a manager you don't know what's happening so you need the, the employees have to tell you here's what i did really well and it you it's like you're bragging and you should be able to tell your employer here's what i did well you should be able to write it down maybe you sold 30 pairs of some frame brand in, over a year span or you increase second pair sales or i don't know your net promoter score was high or Hey, here's five Google reviews where they said I did a really good job. Or you sold all the frames that you picked for the office. That shows that you know about the product. That shows that you know about the patient population. That shows that you know what products work best for the company. So that really shows that you know about product market fit, right? Right. So. And I think it's just like that you're... Employers want to know that you're critically thinking about your job. I think that's the most important part. I will say, I did have one employee and she, I gave her a self-assessment. I asked her like 10 questions. I had her fill it out. She wrote like one sentence for each answer and it was completely inadequate. Like, <laughs> like you can't just write one sentence of what you did right or did wrong in, in, in that year span. And I think a learning lesson for me was some people may be better at recording audio so perhaps rather than giving someone a written assessment, allow them just to record audio answers or just allow them to oh, record so a, vi smart. a video yeah. even. We can't expect people to be like very well written today. Absolutely. And I think a lot of opticians are not good with their words. They may be better with their hands, which is just fine. You got to have the, the tactical skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Quick advertisement here. This is brought to you by my remote staffing company called I Help You. And we have a new product offering that we just released literally today. It's November 27th. We will submit your routine vision billing claims for you, exams, contacts, RX glasses, and even order your contact lenses from your distributors. You may not realize this, but there is a hard labor cost for every claim you submit. And it's probably anywhere between three to five dollars, depending on the wage of your crew and then are they getting distracted and then going back to the claim and getting distracted and it just takes forever and then by the end of you know a day you're like crap we have you know 20 claims to submit and who's going to do this oh we're short opticians anyways we will do this for you we have a whole system a portal and everything to make it amazing and efficient would love for you to outsource that from your office reduce your staffing burden and free up your opticians to be what 
they want to be, which is a dispensing optician on the sales floor doing adjustments. So, all right, let's talk about delegation. And I think delegation saves people time. And so I, I think if you're a boss, you should be able to delegate to staff members, but also even between even between colleagues, you know, optician to optician or optician to technician, we should be able to delegate to our own team members. So what, tell us, like, how do you delegate on your team and, and work together? I think that there's a fine line between delegating your work to a team member and having somebody kind of wash their hands over your head. There is a very fine line because what we do day in and day out requires a lot of multitasking. It definitely depends on how well a person can multitask without having to run around like headless goat, right? I personally believe that if somebody else can do your task, that you need to delegate it and free up your space and time if you're in a position of power. Yeah. But do you ever... When I'm do you sorry? ever delegate? So do you have younger opticians working under you who have less knowledge? I do, but I don't want to, I don't want to categorize it as working under me. I'll say alongside you, maybe. Yeah, alongside me. And when I do have to delegate, I make sure that I'm firm. I make sure that I'm friendly and I make sure that I'm fair. So as long as I keep within these boundaries, I feel like I feel like I can delegate and pass over work better. I love the keyword you just said. You said firm. And like, you can't be wishy-washy when you're delegating. Like, well, maybe if you could just try to do it tomorrow, I think that'd be mm-hmm. just okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I need this done and I need it done in the next 20 minutes, you know? I love that you mentioned, I love that you mentioned a time frame. So whenever I give work to somebody, I like to give a certain time frame just so that, just so that they know that I am waiting on something just so that they know that they can be held accountable for it. And just so that they know that it's just so that they know that it's of high priority. So, so they kind of figure out where in the priority list that, that this task lies. Right. Yeah. It is so, it is so important because it's just like, and something as simple as, hey, I need this prescription. Can you call the previous doctor? It may not seem very important, but sometimes very menial tasks are really important. Absolutely. So, and we have to be able to delegate and ask favors of our own coworkers. And there's something, there's, there's a word called up management. So like you can have an owner and an owner delegates to you, Navindi. So, mm-hmm. hey, Navindi, I need you to count how uh, many frames that are on the board. Sure. But at the (laughs) same time, you should be able to do up management to the doctor. So let's say the doctor, you'd be like, the doctor is neglecting something you need done. Like, hey, you didn't transfer the prescription into the EHR. Like you need to finalize the prescription. And so like that's up management of like, you have to manage them. And that's Mm -hmm. also like a form of kind of delegation. Yep, absolutely. Okay. All right, so let's talk about training opportunities. If you were to devise a plan for staff education, how would you do that? And I'll kind of give you an example. Like, let's say you bring in a new sunglass line and it has proprietary lenses and it has a lab that you have to use. A lot of companies today don't provide education. 
because they're short staffed or they frankly just don't know how to do it. So how would you devise like an education plan for your team? So how I would pass along product information is probably through is probably through written communication. I strongly believe that I strongly believe that seeing is believing. The majority of us humans are very visual creatures. So we like to see things in order to absorb information. So I would first send out an email letting all the opticians know about, know about the new product. And then I will let them know that there'll be that there's gonna be some kind of quiz or some kind of test to actually track how much they have absorbed and learned through through what we have sent out. I would also assess how different people learn. Just because I like to learn things on pen and paper doesn't mean that doesn't mean that somebody else likes to learn it on pen and paper too, right? A lot of us that work in the eye care world learns by doing things. We are, we are very, we are very hands-on creatures. So I would definitely spend time getting to know people's getting to know people's learning methods before actually curating any kind of training. I think that's really, I think that's really important. So you mentioned two, something that stuck out to me, quizzing. I think it's really important. And by quiz, it could literally be a 10 question quiz. Where, you know, where do you find the username and password to the website? Okay. Cause you know, that stuff gets lost pretty often. Okay. And then you could say like, maybe you have a little practical. Okay. Here's the prescription. Here's the lens. I want you to select, you know, a polarized gray with a, a mirror. I want you to price it out. So like do a little practical Perfect. type yeah. quiz. Yeah. And then as long as they can get that correct, you know, you, you sign them off, give them a sticker and that's just like a really simple way. Gift of, card. Like, I mean, anything. Five, yeah, yeah, five, five yeah. bucks for t- first yeah. coffee. I, I mean, who doesn't love that? Because I think it's very important to really understand people before you try to teach things to people. You can't ask an elephant to climb a tree. Uh, like that's not possible. And I'm so glad you're having this conversation because a lot of the empl- because a lot of employers try to follow old school methods that that's really proven to not work. And, uh, and with this modern day and age, you can't really have a fixed mindset on how we share information. Yeah. And I agree with you. Like, you know, if you were to look at like a Maui gym, when you, when you have Maui gym, they have like a handbook. It's like a three ring mm-hmm. binder. It's, it's very confusing. So yep. rather than doing that, like you could simply just screen record a video of, hey, here's how you order lenses and just screen record it. And then maybe your visual learner wants to do that. And then you're more, well, I guess you're, you're per- some people love to watch videos. Other people say, no, just give me the instructions on the paper. I'll follow it mm-hmm. from one to 15. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really good point. You need to ask your own colleagues, how do you like to learn? Yeah. Yeah. And then adjust to each person. Absolutely. The number one goal of any business is to create profitability because the, and it's really important that all businesses grow because if businesses don't grow, they die. And if businesses die, nobody gets raises. So um, a lot of, you know, a lot of people don't see the, the expense that goes into businesses. You know, traditionally, it used to be like 30% went to overhead, the light bill, toilet paper, that type of thing. 30% went to salary. 
So paying team members. And then there was 30% that went to profitability. Profitability and optometry is, you know, anywhere between like 15 to 22% is probably really good today uh, for profitability. So if you are looking at an, uh, a practice, we can kind of focus on the optical even. How would you assess where to focus your attention, you know, to create extra profitability? Out of the lot of ways that we can create profitability, I think it's really important first to take care of employees. Because if you take care of your employees, they are going to run the show for you. They are going to really go above and beyond to do what's necessary. In terms of running a profitable, in terms of running a profitable optical, I think it comes down to the basics to, to buy low and sell high, to, to make sure that the best sellers are on the boards at all times, to make sure that we do the best to reduce redos as much as possible. I think it really comes down to the nitty gritty basics. The moment we don't have control over the basics, I feel like I feel like that's when we I feel like that's when we run into chaos. Yeah, I'm so happy that you simplified like business and profitability because I'm going to gosh, there was a a frame when I was in college working mm-hmm. on optical call. I think it was called the Kate Spade Lucianne. Uh-huh. It's so outdated today. It's like, I'm actually going to share my screen because it's so ugly. But like eight, 10 years ago, it was like a really cool frame, you know? Let me pull it up. Kate Spade. I mean, we would sell like two or three of these a day. It was so silly. Yeah, it's like a, you know, 28B measurement. But 10 oh, yeah, years, I've seen this. <laughs> but 10 years ago, that was a really cute, cute frame. Uh, so it it would is still- cute. And it, and it gives the kind of nerdy, reading glass kind of look so (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um keeping the best sellers on the board it's and i think sometimes we over complicate how do we know what the best sellers are you can go look at the reports like that's that's one way but actually if you just ask get qualitative feedback from the opticians what are the best selling frames every optician should know what are the best selling frames i mean you should be literally be able just to tell you the model what it is And then the other thing you mentioned was like reducing remakes. So call your lab, ask your lab what your remake percentage is. They will tell you. Absolutely. And like, they'll tell you you're, you're doing remakes for seg heights. Okay. Well, there's probably a reason. So like it may be one employee who's like not understanding how to do it. And so you need to pinpoint those reasons. And I was once that employee that had so much of errors measuring PDs and seg heights. And I really had to take a step back and learn. I really had to, I really had to shadow somebody else to, to know where I was wrong. So, so I think it's really important that we pay attention to the basics and not, um, and not kind of overcomplicate it. When you were making those mistakes, because you were just new to the field, how how do you want someone to address you when you make a mistake? So let's say you're repeatedly, your seg height's always two millimeters too low and, and, and you notice a trend. How would you want your boss to approach you about those mistakes? Because it's sensitive, you know, they're coming to you, they're like, you're doing a bad job, Please. but how would you want them to phrase that to you? 
I feel like if all employers and all bosses can come out of a place of love, come out of a place of understanding and knowing that this person in front of you is willing to learn and overcome their mistakes and overcome what and overcome where they've gone wrong. I just feel that makes all the difference. I definitely don't think that it's right to call an employer employee out in front of a patient. That should never happen. It always needs to be in a one-on-one setting to get the best results and also to deliver the message that you have for the employee, right? Sorry, there's no point calling a employee out in front of a patient and kind of humiliating and embarrassing the employee when you can actually sit one-on-one and when you can actually show where where they went wrong and give an opportunity for correction. Yeah, I know. I, I think you said it beautifully. Out of love, I think another way to say it is kind candor. So you're being really kind, but you're also being really blunt, very transparent in what you're doing. And then the, the third point you made is beautiful. I have been on the sales floor where I've I, maybe I've made a mistake and someone else trying to, tried to correct me in front of the patient and it ended up being argumentative and very unprofessional of the other person to try and do that in public. They should have waited for the patient to leave and then we can, we can discuss that. It's like kitchen talk. Keep that in the kitchen. You know, don't, don't bring it out. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, Navindi. Well, thank you so much for sharing, sharing your wisdom. We don't, sometimes we don't realize how much perspective we all have in the industry. And I love just people, I love hearing people in the trenches sharing, like, here's what I do. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute honor and privilege to be here. Thanks for listening. If you could drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, even share this with other opticians, I think they're going to find a lot of motivation and inspiration, especially the office manager who's like, man, how do I get my crew, my team, my A players to be team players?